So if you have your Bibles, let's go Hebrews chapter 5. If you're looking for Hebrews, go to about the last third of your Bible and you'll find uh, this letter that was written to the Hebrews. Uh, and when you look at it from a, a wide range, what we're seeing is this, uh, it's a connected line of teachings in regard to how God has spoken to us in these last days through Jesus Christ. In fact, um, so, so really, who Jesus is, what He has done, what He continues to do on our behalf uh, deserves not only our attention, but it deserves our response. And, and the prayer I believe that the writer has throughout the entire letter is that we would be a people who think deeply uh, and then secondly, intentionally about what God has made available through us in Jesus. Uh, and so, so we explore this really by uh, a series of contrasts. Uh, if you'll remember, the, the first contrast was uh, that Jesus is better than the angels. Uh, and the fact that, that he's been given a name that is greater than the angels. Uh, and then secondly, how the angels, uh, Jesus doesn't serve the angels, but actually the other way, uh, that the angels bow down and deliver and herald uh, Christ as king. And, and then we, we move from that to, to see how uh, Jesus is greater than Moses. And we said that, that for the Hebrews, this would have been a, a huge claim. Uh, because Moses was responsible, at least in their minds, that God used Moses to bring them out of slavery. Entire generations of, uh, of, of Israelites would remember the difference that Moses has made. And the author comes in and he says, when we talk about Mo, I need you to understand that, that he is just a servant in the house and Jesus owns the house. Uh, and so uh, Jesus is greater than Moses, and then the third contrast that we've been seeing uh, just these past couple weeks is how Jesus serves us as as a great high priest, not just a high priest, but but he is given a designation that no other high priest ever had, and that he is a great high priest. And and what we get to hopefully worship inside that, uh, the writer says that he is a priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. Uh, he is a priest who has been tempted in every way and yet remains sinless. Uh, and then that he is readily available to give grace and mercy to help us when we most need it. And, and so, so not only can Christ provide this for us today, uh, he is capable of providing these things every moment for the rest of our lives through eternity. And, and so, so while these things are being taught to us, uh, we're being encouraged to, to place and to keep our eyes simply on Him. That, that in every circumstance of our life, we say, okay, are my eyes on Jesus or not? And, and so as, as we walk through this, uh, we, we're also being challenged to, to stay aware of the conditions of our hearts. That there, there are some important warnings that we've been allowed to kind of walk through together as we walk through this letter. In fact, warnings about uh, considering Jesus so that we don't drift away from the good news that, that we have heard, or uh, warnings about the hardening of our hearts, that, that the hardening of our hearts lead us into unbelief, lead us into faithlessness. And, and all of this is intended not, not to scare us or to guilt us into loving Jesus, because that's really not a proper motivator for anything, right? 
Uh, in fact, what this is intended to do is to show us a path to freedom and joy and peace and rest in the goodness and the love of the Father that He's made available to us in, in Jesus alone. And so, where we've been looking at Jesus as, as our high priest, uh, what we get this morning is kind of an offshoot. Uh, because I told you last week that uh, when we were talking about Melchizedek, right? Anybody use that in conversation this week? No? Nobody? No? Okay. Just me. All right. Gotcha. Um, but, but I said that, that we, we didn't really address much about who Melchizedek was because in chapter 7 he's going to come back to it. And so what we get this morning is kind of, uh, there's a thought about Jesus as high priest, but then it seems like there's a pause. And, and the writer kind of jumps into this lane for a second. And he talks to us, and then he's going to jump back into the high priest lane uh, shortly. But what he's going to do for us, and, and prayerfully what's going to happen, is he's going to challenge, uh, he's going to step into our lives, or better yet, he might step on our toes this morning, and reveal why there are times we struggle with growing up in Christ, if indeed you are found in Christ. Uh, he's going to pinpoint one of our major issues. And so uh, I've, I've been uh, excited and hesitant to share this word for you this morning uh, because it is, it is not an easy pill to swallow. Uh, and so uh, anyways, we'll, we'll get into that in just a second. Let's, let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your word this morning uh, that we can, we can rest knowing firmly and, and really confidently that you, have, you are speaking to us in the Bible. And so what I pray this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would have eyes to see and hearts that have a, a, a ground that is soft enough to receive this word and the seed of it to be planted deep into us so that we can walk in intimate union with you. We thank you, Father. We thank you for your Son. In his name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. All right, so, so as we look at these verses this morning, let, let, me, let me tell you where I think you'll be tempted to go, uh, or, or perhaps where I think you, you may go, because this is initially where I went. Okay? And because I would like you to be as dysfunctional as I am, uh, I hope that maybe you, you end up in this spot, uh, or not. Um, because the writer's going to give us some hard words that, that may feel very heavy. To where? That there's a chance that, that you might feel guilt or you might feel remorse even as you hear the words and you say, yeah, he, he's, he's probably right about that. Um, in fact, you may be tempted to bring up a defense. You may, may be tempted to argue with the word this morning stating that, that that's, that's, it's not all your fault uh, and to ask the word to cut you some slack. Uh, and again, just because I, I kind of hope you might find that because that's where I've been. Um, and, and what I want you to realize this morning is that you, you don't really have to bring guilt to the table. That, that you don't have to bring defense to the table with you this morning. That, that, that God knows you better than you know yourself. And, and any time we hear him say what we think are hard words, we also need to acknowledge how the words are said not to crush us, but to lead us to greater health. Uh, in fact, uh, God's love for you is so fierce that He's unwilling uh, to not point out the areas of your life that need correction. Uh, that, that, that's, it's taken me a long time to start to understand that. 
that when, when God is disciplining me, it's not out of punishment, it's out of love. And, and so, so I was reading this week in my own personal time, I'm, I'm in Second uh, Corinthians right now, and there's this exchange that Paul is having with the Corinthians. And, and what he tells them is that, uh, that, that in his love for them, he explains how because of what he said to them, they were grieved. And he says, that momentary grief I'm kind of thankful for. Uh, in fact, I think, I think we have uh, these verses, right, Luke? In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, do we have that? There we go, on top of the ball. All right, uh, let's assume that we don't. As it is, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. This is what he says. You were grieved into repenting. Uh, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Then he says this. This is the line that, that has kind of caught me all week long and that I keep kind of trying to chew on it. It says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. And so, so the way I've been trying to reconcile that in my life is that, okay, when, when God calls me to repentance and I'm walking in repentance, I also don't have to walk in the guilt or the grief of that action any longer. I can walk in freedom. Because it says that, that, uh, that, that repentance leads to salvation without regret because that action has been forgiven at the foot of the cross. And that's entirely uh, important for us to understand. And so this is, this is the way I hope we would hear the word this morning, that, that any grief or any guilt or any defense that we may feel would draw us toward repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Without regret. We read the word of God this morning from the perspective of love because First John tells us that, that God is love and we walk through hard words because in God's love, He's transforming us into the image of, of His Son. And so, so let's stay in the context from last week. Okay, we, we talked about Christ, and we talked about how He is our eternal source of salvation. We have one source of salvation because of His dignity as the Son of God, His eternity as the eternal priest, and through His suffering as the sacrifice for our sins. And so, so we keep this in mind, and that this is being explained to us uh, because of our desire to enter into this rest that God provides for us. We, we are aware that, that there's a temptation to drift away from we, what we've heard in this good news. And now the writer says this, and uh, I'm almost certain I put this in. Um, we'll see. Chapter 5, verse 11. All right? Luke gave me the... He's like, yes, we're there. All right? So, so here's what he says. He says, about this we have much to say. Because he's talking about Jesus... And he says, about this we have much to say, and it's, it's hard to explain, okay? but not because of what he has to say, but because of the condition of the crowd. He says, since you have become, what's the word? Dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you, you need someone to teach you again, the, and if you like to underline, this is a good spot, the basic principles of the oracles of God, of the Word of God. And then he gives us a word picture, and I think it's very helpful this morning. He says, you need milk, not solid food. 
For everyone who lives on milk is, is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained, and then I like to underline these words, by constant practice, and then circle these next words, to distinguish good from evil. Okay, so, so but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now here's what we need to know, that before we look around and say, Gosh, those Hebrews, they really should know better, right? I, I think we could probably fittingly and love look around and say, those mergers, they really should know better. They really should. I mean, I think this is a, a timely word today in, in this room. I don't think there's um, consequence that you were here. Uh, I, think, I think God said, hey, I'm going to make you sit in this room and listen to this word today on purpose. Um, and, and and I think this is an honest confession from the writer who, who takes a moment and he's writing about the goodness and the greatness of Christ. Then he just sighs. And he's like, I don't, I don't think they're ready for what's next. I don't, I don't think so. He goes, I, I really want to be talking about greater matters, but you guys really aren't ready for it. And what, he, what he's teaching us here is something powerful um, about life with God. Now, it's not profound, but it's powerful that the intention of life with God is that we would be growing in our faith in God. But that's what it is. I mean, we, we can give it different word pictures. We can describe it differently, that, that we are journeying with God, that we are growing with God. But, but, but essentially, once you've asked Christ to be both Savior and Lord of your life, the the uh, the object object what am I trying to say the object objection I'm like that's not the right word but here we go all right the object of our lives become our great desire for Him and more of Him and knowing more of Him and experiencing more of Him and and the writer breaks in and he, he sighs and he says you guys aren't even trying to grow he says you're not in fact. You're happy with settling for the basics and, and you're happy with, with, with drinking milk when steak is readily available for you. But, but you don't want to put in the effort to cut it up and savor each bite. I mean, if we pulled the room, okay, who would rather have milk for dinner tonight or steak? Steak? Yeah? Steak? Okay, we're on the same page? Yeah. And this is what the writer's telling us. He goes, he goes you, you consistently choose milk when steak is readily available. All you've got to do is cut it up and put it in your mouth and savor each morsel of it. And I think it, it's a hard word that comes across in, in verse 11 as the writer says, you've become dull of hearing for, for though by, the, for by now you should be teachers. And, and I know this is a timely word for the church, not just our local one or our city or, or globally today. Um, because there, there's a, a high number of us who have known God for years, but still don't know God any deeper than that elementary first step. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you a great way to ask yourself this question. Again, all I'm trying to do is step on toes, apparently, because that's what the word's doing. Okay, if you've been saved for more than five years, answer me this question: 
how many people have you helped lead to Christ? Or better yet, better yet, that's probably unfair, right? How willing have you been to speak about what Christ has done for you? How much time have you spent helping those who are far from God find life in Christ? And um, um, I, I can paint you with a wide brush here because I always know why we don't do it. I don't feel like I know enough to do it. And my answer to that is always, well, what are you doing to grow up in that? Well, nothing. And so he looks at us. Uh, you, can, you can make noise if you agree with me. If you don't agree with me, keep your mouth shut. All right? so, so, so the answer to that is, is what this writer is saying. He says, he says, you have dull hearing. He's like, your heart's not moved to Christ past this elementary. What do I get in this exchange? Well, I get salvation, and so I'm fine living in this moment. And what the writer of Hebrews will tell you is, is the more you know Christ, the further you want to go with Him. And the deeper you want to go with Him. And, the, and, and, and to, to the point where it doesn't matter the outcome of, of your experience because it is all about the glory of Him and His name. And so, so we can try to make these excuses for, for those seasons where we're not pursuing growth. We can, we can blame circumstance. We can blame busyness. We can trap ourselves in our own guilt. And, and I tend to think the most common excuse is the one that none of us really want to say out loud. Because when we say it out loud, we're exposed and we know what the problem is. It's just laziness. That's what it is. I'm just lazy in my walk with God. I'm lazy in my disciplines with God. That we don't get off the milk because chewing takes effort. And so we're willing to settle for the bottle. But then here's the issue. Here's what's funny about that. We find ourselves frustrated when we keep coming back to the table and all we have is milk to drink. Right? No? Just, just other people? Gotcha. Then we come back and we're like, well, it's milk again. And, and, and God says, you don't have to only drink milk, people. He says, in fact, you should be saying, I want steak. I want the steak that I can make. And then I want to get to a point where I can go to Del Frisco's and have the steak that they make. And so, so this word picture, it's, it's helpful because it's easy to understand, right? The, the, the writer says, everyone who lives on milk is a child. Now, that's, that's not to say that there isn't a time for milk. There, uh, there is. In fact, when, when you are young, the milk gives you the strength to prepare the body for more. And so, so, but but the older you get, the more you, the older you get, the more you you get, the more you see how the benefits of the milk was preparing you for being able to eat solid foods, which gives you strength for adventures of the God size. That that's the encouragement we find in verse fourteen, in, in chapter five, verse fourteen. He says, "But solid food is for the mature, for for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice." to distinguish good from evil. In other words, we're encouraged to eat solid foods as a constant practice of our lives. That we never get, not just periodically, not just like, hey, I eat steak on Sunday. I, I eat steak when I'm in a merge group, or I eat steak when I'm at a conference, but, but that we would make that a daily practice. 
And that way we do it so that we can distinguish between the steps that God is calling us to take and the ones He's telling us simply to avoid. And, and so, so it's, it's helpful before we go to, to uh, chapter 6 to ask our hearts uh, simply this question. Am I pursuing, do I want to eat steak or do I want to settle for milk? And as I say that, there, there, there are young Christians in the room and I, I don't, I don't want to place upon you a burden that is unnecessary because if you are young, if you are a baby Christian, uh, then, then you should be on milk. There are some of us in this room who have not given their lives to Jesus as Savior and Lord, and so steak isn't even an option for you. Okay, so I don't want to place a burden on you that's unnecessary because your first step is is drinking milk, and that's that's okay. But you really can't be like six year old, like a six year old, just having milk every meal. It's not healthy for you anymore. You have to move along, and so so so. Either, I mean, though those people don't get a pass, um, but but we should be pursuing deeper levels of growth. And, and I'm going to try to expose us here in just a little bit with that. Uh, I think there's a proper way of understanding the heart of the writer is, is that even in the hard words, he challenges and he encourages us to give us a direction to be moving in. And this, this is where we find ourselves at the beginning of, of chapter 6 and verse 1. And it starts with these words, Therefore... Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. And then he gives us an instruction. And go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And, and this we will do if God permits. He says, okay, these are, the, these are elementary levels of life with God. And he says the intent here is to move beyond those things. Not to do away with those things, but, but to move further than those things. And, and I, I read verse 1 of chapter 6 uh, really as a coach trying to get more out of their team, knowing that they believe more in their team than the team believes in themselves. Right? Isn't that the key of every great coach? To say, hey, let's dig deep. We got more in us. Let's go get it together. And, and I think that's the role of, of a pastor, a coach, a spouse, a parent, an employer, a, a teammate, that he's come into this conversation and he says, he says, we both know that we have better effort to put out and we have more to give than what we're putting into practice. And so he says, let's go get it. He says, let's, let's go get it. He says, you know, li- lifting um, five-pound weights are helpful when that's all you can lift. But there comes a point where, uh, through the practice of working out, that, that if you continue just lifting that five-pound weight, it's going gonna, it's gonna to eventually not have any change in your life. Like, I can do this forever, and it's not that heavy. And, and so, and though we don't ever graduate from the basics of the Christian faith, we also... Don't refuse to, um, when we're lazy, we refuse to put more weight on the bar. And, and basically the building block is this. If you have a bar and you're putting five-pound weights and you're working out there for a while, eventually as you grow stronger, what do you do? You put on another set of fives. And then there's a strain for a while. And as you get stronger, you put on another set and another set. Now, you never strip the other, the, that original five, right? You stay and you build on what is already 
there. And so all we're seeing here is just this encouragement to put on, put more weight on the bar and to strive to lift more. That's what he's saying. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that God's going to love you anymore because he loves you with a perfect love. But as we respond to the beauty of the gospel, we say, I, I want to be fit. I want to be spiritually fit so I can do these incredible things that God gives me the ability to do. And so, so we get to verse 4. And this is the, the only section that I'm like, man, this is, this, is some, this is some hard work. Okay, So I'm just going to read you what another guy said. And we'll say, that's genius. So it says this in, in verse 4. He says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it's impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding them up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God, but if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. Now, again, this is a difficult set of verses that we really don't have much time to unpack it fully. Um, and so I'd encourage you to spend some time meditating and reading about it uh, because some will, will read these verses and they'll be fearful that, that what's being said is that it's possible to one day have a salvation and then to, to lose that salvation. And, and or... or uh, and there's a lot of conclusions that they draw from this and, and how one can be lost or, or reveal that they were really never saved to, be, saved to begin with. And, and what I believe is simply this, is that it's not possible for us to lose our salvation after we receive uh, Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, mainly because our entrance into our salvation was not built on our ability to earn it. And then our, our security is not built on our ability to maintain it. Uh, and so both of these avenues are f- fueled by the work of Christ. And so, so what I'm going to say as a possible explanation is uh, just a, a, an excerpt of one of the commentaries that I was reading this week from Warren Wiersbe. And he kind of gives two options toward the end. He says some things before, uh, but these are kind of, I think, helpful. He, says, he's a, he starts with this. He goes, then what was the writer trying to say to us? And he says it's probable that he's describing a, a hypothetical case to prove his point that a believer cannot lose his salvation. His statement in verse 9 seems to support this interpretation that, that though we speak in this way, and we're going to get here in a second, uh, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. And so his argument kind of runs like this. Let's suppose that you don't go on to maturity. Let's say that your ears stay dull and you don't go any deeper in life with God than, than you are right now in this very moment. Um, does this mean that you will go back to condemnation, that you will lose your salvation? And Wiersbe says it's impossible. He says if you could lose your salvation, it would be impossible to get it back again. And this would disgrace Jesus Christ. He would have to be crucified again uh, for you, and this could never happen. It would never happen because his sacrifice on the cross was sufficient for all time 
And so Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4, the writer changes the pronouns from we and us to those. Uh, and this change also suggests that he had a hypothetical case in mind. And then he says, however, there's another possible interpretation that, that does not require a hypothetical case. He says, you should note that the words crucify and put in verse 6 are, are in the Greek, um, present participles. Uh, for all you English teachers, you're welcome. Um, I don't know what that is, but I know that's something. Um, it says, while they are crucifying and while they are putting him to open shame. And the, the writer did not say that these people could never be brought to repentance. He said that they could not be brought to repentance while they were treating Jesus in such a shameful way. That once they're disgracing Jesus uh, once they stop disgracing Jesus Christ in this way, they can be brought to repentance and they can renew their fellowship with God. Now, here's, I really say all of that to, say, to get to this paragraph. He says, Whatever approach you take, please keep in mind that the writer's purpose was to not frighten the readers, but to assure them. If, if he had uh, wanted to frighten them, he would have named whatever sin or sins would have caused them to disgrace Jesus, but he doesn't do that here. In fact, he avoided the word apostasy uh, and he used instead to fall by the wayside. And, and so, so, like I said earlier, what seems to be happening here is the writer comes in and he wants to be a good coach. And he wants to encourage and he wants, to, he wants the team to strive more to get the most out of them. And, and verse 9 is where I really kind of feel this uh, coming in because he comes and he says this in, in verse 9. He says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things that belong to salvation. Then he says this in verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. So he, so he acknowledges that, hey, you are doing some things right here. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So, so, so while it's true that it is God who carries us along to maturity, it's also true that believers must do our part. That, that, that we must not be lazy or, or slothful. Uh, it's the same word as dull uh, that's shared here in 511. Uh, but we apply ourselves to the spiritual resources that God has given us. God has gifted us. And that's a privilege to experience with Him. That, that we have these promises from God. We should exercise faith and patience and claim these promises uh, for, for ourselves. And, and there's this this is the same as seeing, we can start wrapping this up, Swan. Uh, stop taking notes, all right? Let's go. Um, there's this famous scene uh, at the beginning of Joshua uh, where, where Joshua is about to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. And he's doing it because Moses has just died. And God tells him, hey, uh, Joshua, you're going to lead them into the promised land. And he goes, and where I'm leading you is this, this land that's flowing with milk and honey. And he says this, he goes, every place you put your feet shall be yours. And that's an important distinction. Because here's what I feel most of us will do with life with God. We will say, God wants us to have it all. 
And yet we don't want to move our feet anywhere. And I love what he says. He goes, every place you put your feet will be yours. So the further you walk, the the more you get. And I think the writer of Hebrews comes in and he's like, well, we've been sitting on a couch for a long time. And yet we expect God to do things for us, not with us. And 5.11 says about this, we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. And then in one, he says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. And, and I told you as, as we were starting that there's a chance these, these words will land heavy and the weight will, will step on your toes. And, and I hope you wouldn't run from the weight, but that you'd ask some important questions about it. Uh, in fact, here, here's what I know. In love. We, we know those moments when we're not giving our best. Right? I mean, we, we know those moments when we are choosing to be lazy. We even know those moments when, when we're choosing to be lazy, but we're trying to cover up our laziness with busyness. We know that. Maybe not everybody can know that because we can look like we're straining. We can look like we're working hard. We can even act like we're out of breath. But we know inside of us, at the end of these moments, so my boy, he's a a runner. And we always say this, that at the end of every race, empty your tank. Make sure you've used all of your gas. And we know in these moments when life with God, when when we've emptied the tank. And most of us will, will refuse to empty the tank because we don't know how to get more gas in it. And what we don't understand is, is that, that with life with God, that He says, I am, you are pouring yourself out so that I can continue to fill you up. You are pouring yourself out. Pouring yourself out in service. Pouring yourself out in grace. Pouring yourself out in sacrifice. So that every time you do that, my promises to you is that you will find even more fuel. So when it comes to growing in our faith, we have these promises from God that we are being transformed and we're being strengthened and being enlightened for the glory of God and the work of the gospel. But there are also these aspects of our life with Him that that it's our responsibility to begin feasting with our own hands. That, That we can't sit and drink from the bottle forever. You can't. It's not healthy and it's not productive. So, so the question, I guess, for application is how do we grow in maturity? And there are these, these basic elements that we put into constant practice. Uh, and it's, it's like going consistently to the gym. It's what it is. That, that you, we read our Bible. We, we spend time uh, praying. We, we grow in our capacity to love others with the intention of helping those um, see the love of God through us. We do those things constantly and consistently and for reason. And again, it's, it's, like, it's a lot of going to the gym that, that there's no one day that takes you from, from novice to expert. It's a process. It's a process. You, you, don't, 
You don't go to the gym on Monday and then all of a sudden come out with your summer body. Right? Like if so, that would be really great. Yeah. But what if it wasn't about the results but about the process? What if it wasn't about having the summer body and the process and the discipline of working hard so that you get to the end of yourself and you can see God do incredible things. It's the consistency that helps us grow towards maturity because you're, you're adding weight as you are capable of lifting while you're growing stronger. And so, so why do we say this? That We say it because God is putting your life on display so that those who are far from Him may find life in, their, in His Son. That's why. He's including you and me in His great story by bringing us a life of purpose. Apart from Him, we, I don't... It's a life of meaningless things. Apart from, apart from the glory of God, life is about accumulating stuff that eventually you throw away so you can buy more stuff. I saw this app this, this week. I don't know if you've seen it. You can rent out spaces in people's houses now. Like, for real. Like, you have a corner. Like, hey, I have like this five-by-five-foot square. Rent it out. Bring your junk. So the Gospel gives us purpose for breathing and living. And I would hate for us to get, I would hate for you to get to the end of your run And you would enter into heaven and you would have never gotten past milk. It's something special to eat steak, right? Something special. And this is what God is telling us. Strive to that. So wherever you're at, wherever you're at, strive to more and more of that. Because that's where we go. So we lean, and, and my prayer for us is that we would be honest with ourselves and with God long enough for that to change our lives. I love you guys. I do. Thank you for letting me step on your toes. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. We wrap up. Make a couple things available. If you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. Maybe you just need prayer for strength to to pursue maturity. Maybe you've never asked Jesus into your heart and today is your day. We pray desperately that it is your day. Let us pray. Father, we come to you and we're thankful. And we pray that our hearts are worship-filled. That we would be a people who are moving further away from the elementary things of life with You, though we are thankful for those moments, what we pray is that You would help us grow more and more. We love You. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.